looking at verses 27 and 28 tonight. The Bible says, Therefore I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Tonight we're going to flip the, the title from the morning, this morning sermon. This morning we looked up lifting up the, the church of Christ. Tonight we're going to look at lifting up Christ while at church, or lifting up Christ at church. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray tonight you'd help us as we consider uh, another angle, Lord, of a similar truth this morning. Lord, this one would be a little bit more detailed. This one would be a little bit more in-depth and maybe even be a little bit more personal to the faithful of our church. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give me conciseness of words. And, Lord, um, may uh, you penetrate hearts through uh, your words tonight as we look at Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This morning we took a long look at the importance of elevating the church of Christ. The church of Christ. Uh, remember we looked at Matthew sixteen eighteen, where Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, or Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We said that Petros could be defined as a thin layer of soil that lies just above a bedrock or larger rocks. Peter was that first layer of soil on the foundation rock of Jesus Christ himself. And that uh, Peter and the apostles there uh, would be the ones that would proclaim the gospel and see the church of Christ really get up off the ground and running. The uh, last half of the verse, we didn't really look at much this morning. The last half of the verse says this, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's very important. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. Now, we did talk about it indirectly, but not within context of that verse there. We talked about how that uh, Satan has several tactics that he's used to try to squelch or eradicate the church. And one of those tactics that we described was persecution. We looked at Acts 8.1 where uh, he persecuted the church and they fled and they ended up taking the gospel to the world. And so we know that the gates of hell are going to launch and have launched an all-out attack to try to stop church and to shut down this idea of church. Uh, tonight, let me say that it ought to be not just the powers of evil that attack the church. It ought to also be the church that attacks the powers of evil. We have got to attack the gates of hell. We've got to go after them with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've got to try to pull every last soul we can from the flames of hell. And I remember, I've been out soul winning many times with many different people. One of my favorite prayers that I, I, I an old soul winning partner of mine used to pray, he'd say, Lord, lead us to the soul that is nearest hell. Lead us to that soul that is nearest hell. And I pray that in this area, Waduk Baptist Church is a salvation station right there, right before someone gets ready to slip into hell. I remember many years ago going out soul winning with my brother and he had the privilege, my brother Tim, he had the privilege of leading a lady to the Lord while he was leading her to the Lord. I sat on the ground and played dollhouse with her little three-year-old girl, three or four-year-old girl, and we lined her up to come to church the next day, and as it would be, we knocked on her door and nobody came, which wasn't unusual. A lot of times when you work in bus ministry, you line someone up to come and they don't show up. So we went by the next Saturday to follow up on her, and we knocked on the door in the morning and no one answered. We went back later in the afternoon and knocked on the door, and the neighbor 
uh, came out and said, uh, can I help you? And we said, well, we're looking for her. And we called the lady's name. And she said, what are you looking for her for? And we, we said, well, we're from the church. And, and we met her last Saturday. She said, oh, you met her last Saturday, huh? I said, yes. She said, well, what time? And we said, well, it was probably 12 or 1 o'clock. She said, well, you, I guess you didn't hear the news. I said, what news was that? She said, her ex-boyfriend uh, came here about 5 o'clock and shot and killed her and then shot and killed himself. And the child is now in the custody of the state. And we were, now unbeknownst to, what was, uh, to us what was going on, we were able to snatch her from the claws of Satan right before she slipped into hell. My brother was able by leading her to the Lord. And I just have to say that uh, we are to be on the attack against the gates of hell. We know that hell is launching an attack on us. And we are to attack right back. There are plenty of churches around this globe that have the right doctrine. But they have the wrong philosophy. Wrong philosophy. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I'll pull up a church's website and I'll read their doctrinal statement and everything checks out. Man, they got the right version of the Bible, the King James Bible. They've got, and they got it all down. They got all the soteriology down, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of the church. Then you go there and it's dry as dust. Dry as dust. Some would call those deeper life ministries. You know how I describe most deeper life ministries? They go down deep and they come up dry. They go down deep and they come up dry. Uh, listen, uh, I would rather be a part of a church that is aggressively trying to reach the community than be part of a church where it's us four, no more, and they're lazy. They're lazy. And tonight, I'm here to say that uh, uh, that we have got to do our best to go after the community with the gospel and reach them before it's too late. How many of you are like me in that you are either all in or all out on things? How many of you would say that's how you are? You're either all in or all out. I'm not doing this middle of the road stuff. I'm not somewhat in. I'm not one foot in, another foot out. How many of you, when you go swimming, uh, you, you kind of put a toe down in the water and you get down on the first step and then you get in the second step and you get it knee high and oh, this water is so cold. How many of you are more like me where you're off the diving board and cannonball into the deep end? How many of you are like that? Just jump in and get it over with. Amen? And I've got to say this evening is let's be all in for Jesus. Let's be all in on this concept of church. I don't want to play games. I don't want to do this half-hearted. I'm, I want to be involved in something and I want to do it first class and I want to do it all the way. Or My, my attitude is let's do it that way or let's just not do it at all. This evening on our way to church, Angela and uh, my sister-in-law, Andrea, got talking about being drugged to the Catholic Church by their mother. And um, um, Andrea made the comment about how long and boring those services were. <laughs> uh, look, there's Baptist churches as well that have long, boring services. I really work hard. We work hard to not make it that way. But uh, Angela made the comment, she said, and the, hard, the, the pews were solid wood with no padding. It was, oh, it was miserable. You couldn't even go to sleep. It was just, it was, it was awful. And, uh, and I gotta say that, uh, that there would be a disconnect between the reason, and I believe this, the reason why a lot of people are falling out of church, especially younger kids, they turn 17, 18, they don't want to have anything to do with church, is because when they were in church, there was just no real connection to their life. And I gotta say that there's no excuse for that. There ought not be a disconnect there. Uh, because the, the church that properly elevates Christ to its youth, 
properly elevates Christ to its teens. Properly elevates Christ to its college and career age. Properly elevates Christ to its couples. Properly elevates Christ to the middle age. Properly elevates Christ to the senior saints. Uh, A church that properly does that, all people will be drawn. All types of people will be drawn into that church. Let me just sum up the introduction with this statement if I could. Christ is relevant to everyone. Amen? Christ is relevant to everyone. You say, oh, He's not relevant to me. Yes, He is. Uh, you say, but preacher, he, you don't understand where I'm at in life. Uh, Christ wants to have nothing to do with me. I assure you, He does. I assure you, He does. Christ is relevant to everyone. And these churches that are losing their young folks by the droves, listen, my prayer is that as children graduate from high school, they stay in our church and that we have a strong program and a strong uh, uh, way of, of elevating Christ so that we, we don't lose children as they're going off, uh, uh, going off into their own career. I believe that it is the duty of the church, and when I say the church, I mean it's pastor and members, to lift up Christ. It's the duty of our church to elevate Christ. He should be the center of all of our meetings. Christ should be the center of our outreach. Christ should be the main driving force for everything that we do as a church. Our main goal is to lift up Christ both within the walls and without the walls of the church. Tonight I want to look at three basic principle thoughts about this concept of lifting up Christ at church. Point number one, we the church must elevate. We, the church, must elevate, letter A, his book. Letter A's book. Look back with me in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. It says there, uh, Paul is speaking, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. Look at verse 28. Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to Feed the flock of God. Uh, what is the job of the pastors? What is the job of the overseers? What is the job here at White Oak Baptist Church of the leadership team of our church? It is to feed the flock of God. What are we feeding them? Are we going to feed them uh, really cute illustrations? Are we going to feed them uh, pop culture as it is relevant and parallels to, 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 to the spiritual life? Are we going to feed them uh, cotton candy, if you will? Or are we going to feed them... Are we going to feed them the meat and potatoes of the Word of God? Listen, it is our job as a church to lift up His book. To lift up His Word. We want to make a big deal about this right here at our church. Can I tell you something about our church? We have our traditions. You know what time we start our Sunday school hour? We're supposed to start it at 9.45. The preacher usually runs a little long at 8.30, so we normally don't start at 9.45. But we're supposed to start at 9.45. You know what time we have church on Wednesdays? At 7 o'clock. You know what we sing out of here? A hymnal. You know what those are? Those are traditions. You know what I wear every Sunday when I preach? I wear a suit. You know, the Bible says nothing about wearing a suit. You know, we say, well, why do you do it? Because it's a, it's a tradition. I saw a church get all bent out of shape because their pastor wanted to quit wearing a tie. And, and, uh, and uh, someone else was complaining about that about another church. And I looked at the guy and said, well, you know what the Bible says about that, right? He said, what? I said, it doesn't say anything about that. Now, I'm going to wear a tie and a suit as long as I'm the pastor here. I don't plan on changing that. But it's not traditions. It's, it's this book right here. That's what we're to elevate. 
That's what we're to love. We've got our goofy little uh, intricacies and our quirks. We've got our traditions and, and even some rituals. But listen, those pale in comparison to the importance of God's Word. Uh, Isaiah chapter 28 verse 9 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk. Verse 10, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Uh, how is the Word of God elevated? It's elevated by being taught and preached in a way that's enjoyable. So those of you that do some teaching, whether it's to children or whether it's to senior saints, let me say this is that, listen, I work with the same Word of God that you do. Get good at preparing this for your people. Don't teach, don't teach a dusty, dry lesson. Well, it's all the Word of God. Yeah, it's the same book, but it all matters on how hard you work to prepare to teach it. And so, elevate His book. Elevate His book. We must elevate. We, the church, must elevate His book. Letter B. We, the church, must elevate His blood. We must elevate His blood. Look at verse 28 of Acts chapter 20 there. It says, For I, uh, rather verse 28, uh, uh, Take heed uh, thereto unto yourselves and into all, all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. He purchased it with His own blood. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. I've, I've looked at several verses this week in preparation for this message about the blood of Jesus. And they're all wonderful. But verse 5 is just so poetic of Revelation 1. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the king of the earth, unto Him that loved us, and washed away, and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Washed us from our sins in His own blood. There was a great parliament of religions back in the 1800s held in Chicago. Uh, practically every known religion was represented there. One of these ecumenical religious movements. During one session, a, a, a Christian by the name of Joseph Cook uh, from Boston, he, he suddenly rose in front of the crowd and he said, Gentlemen, I, I beg to introduce you to a woman with a great sorrow. He said, Bloodstains are on her hands, and nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Is there anything in your religions that will remove her sin and give her peace? The room got deathly quiet. Nobody had anything to say. Raising his eyes heavenward, Dr. Cook then cried out, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of her awful sin? The great preacher stared upward and waited as if somehow John the Apostle was going to reply. After a moment, he cried, listen, listen, John speaks. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin." The blood of Jesus Christ. This woman had blood on her hands for murder. How can that be forgiven? It can be forgiven because Jesus Christ became that woman's murderer on the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Listen, I can't make a big enough deal about the blood of Jesus tonight. It is the blood of Jesus 
that is the healing agent that washes away our sin. And my friend, this false doctrine, this phony doctrine that went around for a long time saying it's the death of Jesus that matters and not the blood. Oh, my friend, it is the blood. It was God who, uh, uh, Jesus rather, who collected His blood and went up to heaven and sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat so that our sins could be forgiven. You say, Pastor, I don't like a church that has a bloody religion. I love the blood of Jesus Christ because it has washed my sins away and it has made me whole. Listen, I'm not concerned what those people in the world think about the blood of Jesus. If they want to shut this down, they want to stop it. Listen, I'm here to say I'm going to declare that His blood still saves. It still saves. And we've got to tell the world around us about that. We must elevate His book. We must elevate His blood. Letter C, we must elevate His blessings. We must elevate His blessings. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Let me just ask you tonight, what is a blessing that you have in your life daily that you know comes from God? Somebody shout out to me. A blessing you have in your life every day, and you know that that blessing comes directly from God. Someone shout out to me here. Breath. Picks you up. Health. Others? Salvation. Come on, we can do better than that. Others? Another day? Sobriety? Amen. Others? Food. Amen for food. We're going to go get some food after church, Brother Joe. A changed life. Amen. Others? Knowledge. Knowledge of God's Word. We have that knowledge right here in front of us, don't we? You know what we have? We have blessings in abundance. Blessings in abundance. You know, I heard someone say one time, bad news will travel around the world twice before good news will make it around the block. Bad news will make it around the world twice before good news will make it around the block. Are you telling people about the blessings that God has given you and God has given this church? Can I tell you, God's been very, very good to this church. Hasn't He? It's been here since 1980, and it's been a salvation station for many years. Many of you, through the preaching of Pastor Brown and Pastor Peslak, and uh, you, you have grown immensely in your faith. How many of you here were, were reached under either Pastor Brown or Pastor Peslak's ministries? Would you raise your hand? Hold them up for a minute, would you? You know, where you are today and where you were when God saved you. This church has had a big part in where you are. Are you telling the community about that? Are you elevating the blessings of God? Look, I know how it is. Because uh, I'm the same way. I'm built just like you are. It's easy to complain. It's easy to bellyache about how bad life is. My friend, it's time to stop the bellyaching. And it's time to start elevating the blessings of God that are in all, all of our lives. Number one, we at church, we must elevate. We're talking about lifting up Christ at our church. Number two, we, the church, must emulate. We must emulate. Let me give you quickly here an A and a B. If you would turn over to Philippians chapter 2. We're done there in Acts chapter 20. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. And let me give you an A and a B. First letter A. We must emulate His heartbeat. His heartbeat. Look at me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says there, some of you already know it. I'm going to start reading. Let this mind be in you, which was also... In Christ Jesus. We're to have His mind. We're to have His mind. We're to think like Christ thinks. We're to have His heartbeat. 
You know, part of, we talk about the heart. Part of the heart is the mind and the thoughts that we think. Listen, I pray every day when I get up and, and I'm on my way to work, or rather even when I'm just getting ready in the morning, my prayer is that God would give me His wisdom to make sound decisions. But another thing that I pray regularly is, Lord, help me to live my life the way You would if You were in my shoes. Help me to think about things the way You would think about things. Help me to approach people the way that You would approach people. Give me the compassion that You have toward others. We're to share His heartbeat. We are to share His mindset. During His earthly ministry, how did Christ carry Himself? Well, he got up every day with the purpose of helping everyone in his path, loving everyone he could. The image I have of Christ is uh, versus the Pharisees is the Pharisees are smug. Let me tell you how to do what's right. Just look at me. And here's how I see Jesus. Can I help you? Can I love on you? Touching the, 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 the legs of a lame man. Helping the deaf. Touching a leper. You know the story of Jesus coming off the, 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 uh, the mount there where he gave the Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He gave that, that great sermon. And the very first thing is he came off the mountain and he touched a leper. The very first thing he did. He touched a leper. Jesus was a, a people, or Jesus was a minister of the people. Of the people. He loved people. He couldn't get around enough people who needed His help, who needed His love. That's how Jesus communicated. Or rather, that's how Jesus carried Himself. And, and another question to ask yourself, if you're going to have the heartbeat of Christ, is how did Christ communicate with others? How did He communicate with others? Was His communication vile? Was it filthy? Was it vain? Was it empty? Do you think He just shot, sat around and talked about things that were, were dirty and unclean? No. Jesus, every word He spoke had a purpose. I'm not saying Jesus never had a, a time to just joke around and, and have a good time with, with, his, with His disciples there, but by and large, Jesus used His words to communicate truth and love and compassion to others. How did Christ spend His time? Or rather, who did Christ spend His time with? You know, what the, the publican, or rather what the Pharisees accused Jesus of is, your master eateth with publicans and sinners. By the way, let me just throw this out here. There's all this going around the internet I've, I've seen in that, well, you know, it's okay for me to live the way I'm living because Christ hung out with publicans and sinners. Can I just tell you, Christ didn't hang out with anybody. Jesus didn't hang out. When Jesus was with publicans and sinners, the publicans and sinners came to Him because they wanted change. He wasn't there endorsing their lifestyle. By His very being, they wanted to change from who they were. I'm going to ask you tonight, what kind of ministry mind style did Christ have? we got a whole bunch of people running around this planet calling themselves, I'm a minister. You, you even know what that means? To be a minister? That means you are ministering. You are serving. That's the heartbeat of Christ. That's the heartbeat of Christ. Let this mind be in you. Let me just ask you this, Christian. 
If Jesus were going to walk in your shoes tomorrow and do what's on your calendar, how would he do it different than you're probably going to do it? That's a good place to start. Good place to start. To have his heartbeat, his mindset. In order to have his heartbeat, letter A, letter B, we must emulate his humility. His humility. Philippians 2, look down at verse 6. It says there, who being in the form of God, this is speaking of Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, look here, it says he, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. It says there that Jesus humbled himself. People love verses 10 and 11, how that every knee shall bow and every tongue can, will, shall confess. Do you know why every knee shall bow and every tongue will, shall confess? Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess because Jesus humbled himself. He was willing to humble himself and become obedient to the death of the cross. I love James 4.10. It says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. We're trying to uh, run the race of life and we're trying to get our neck out ahead of everyone and climb the corporate ladder faster than everyone else and, and do things better than everyone. And Me, 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 look at me, me, me. And Jesus says, whoa, hold on a minute. Put on the brakes. Throw up the stop sign. It's not me, me, me. It's, it's, it's humility. It's Him, Him, Him. You want to get ahead in life? Lose your life. You want to you be ahead? Abase yourself. We must learn to emulate His humility. Look, uh, if, if something isn't just going your way and, and, and you're not uh, appreciative of the way things are going in your life, stop and ask yourself this. Is it all really about me anyway? It's about Him. It's about Him. We cannot have, and, and here's a statement I want you to get from this point on emulation. We cannot have His heartbeat if we're not willing to learn His humility. Now, that might not be the most impressive thing you've heard. But boy, I sure hope I can learn that because I don't totally have it figured out. I cannot properly have the mindset of Christ until I learn the humility of Christ. And neither can you. Number one, we must elevate. Number two, we must emulate. Number three, we, the church, we must extend. We must extend. We're talking tonight about how as a church we're going to lift up Christ both within the walls of our church and without the walls of our church. We must extend. Notice letter A, His compassion. We must learn to extend His compassion. Will you turn over to John fifteen chapter uh, John chapter 15 with me? John chapter 15. We're going to finish the message here in John 15. To set the stage for you here, John fourteen fifteen, and I believe chapter 16, if I remember right, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus leaves the upper room and he's walking from the upper room to the Mount of Olives where he'll pray and eventually be arrested. 
Jesus is very grieved in his spirit. And I know that every word Jesus spoke was powerful. And I'm not going to attempt to put one above the other. But, boy, I have to think that Jesus was trying to convey maybe some of the most important points of his entire ministry right here. As he was in a spirit of grief knowing that he was on his way to die. Look at verse 12 with me. It says there, this is my preference. That's not what it says. This is my commandment. That's a big word. That's a strong word. We talk about the Ten Commandments. So you can take what Jesus is about to say here, and you can put it up there with the Ten Commandments. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, I don't know what that conveys to you. That conveys a very tall order for me. I'm supposed to love others just as much as Christ loves me. How much does Christ love me? Can I tell you something about me? I'm a rascal. I'm a sorry, no good, lousy sinner that messes up over and over and over again. You know what God keeps doing for me? He keeps forgiving me and giving me another chance. That's the way we're supposed to love others. It's not a preference, it's a commandment. We're to extend His compassion. Look down at verse 17. As if it wasn't important for Jesus to say it once, He repeats the same thing a second time within five verses. These things I command you, verse 17, that ye love one another. Hey guys, love each other. Love each other. Hey, by the way, anybody can love somebody that loves them. Go love the people that aren't lovable. Go love the people that are not easily loved. Go extend my compassion on others. I'd say a great study to do is a study on the compassion of Christ. Boy, he preached about it a lot. It was, it was a big topic for him to preach. But beyond just preaching it, he practiced it. Over and over again, the Bible says that he had compassion. In fact, in preparation for the sermon, I counted nine times where the gospel explains that Jesus showed compassion on someone or some group of people or felt compassion. You know, when Jesus got down to the end of a very busy day and, and he was weary, and Jesus got weary just like you and I do, and somebody would come to him with great need. You know, Jesus could have very cold-heartedly turned them away. But there was this thing down inside his chest that said, they need me. They need grace. Compassion was the was the, the gas in his engine that got him to get up and go every day. You know, several months ago, I, I used an illustration I think fits really well right here. And I wasn't planning on using this tonight, but... Boy, I just think it fits perfect here. What if we could take a blimp ride up above the area? We could push a button. We could turn every home yellow that had a drug addict in it. Turn the yellow button off, hit the blue button. Highlight all the home that has marital strife. I mean sharp marital strife. How many homes would be highlighted blue? 
Turn that one off. Hit the green button for everyone who's struggling with depression. Turn that one off and hit the next button. Maybe make that one orange. All the people that are grieving over some sort of a, lo- of a loss of a loved one. You know what I'm getting at tonight is that the world is hurting. Can I tell you something that I know about this church that most of you don't know? Because you're not me. This church is filled with hurting people. I didn't understand that before I was a senior pastor. Even as an assistant pastor, I didn't get it. I'd see people and all I'd see was people. I'd see the clothes they wear. I'd see the fake smile they put on their face. But as a pastor, I get to know a little bit more about people's lives. And and I would never divulge details, but can I tell you something? There are a lot of hurting people in this room right now. You know what they need? They need compassion. They need you to take His compassion and extend it to them. Hey, someone gives you a sharp word in the hallway? Look, can you be mature about it? Can you just assume they're having a bad day and be nice? Give them a break? Aren't you glad God gives you a break? Compassion. You know, outside the walls of this church, we have we have a community that's hurting. We have a community that needs what goes on in this building. And what those people out there need are people that are here who will take the compassion of Christ and extend it to them. What this community needs is a whole bunch of little versions of Jesus Christ who looks out and they don't see the hustle and bustle. They see broken and hurt people that are wandering about in their sin and they're lost in their way. What this community needs is White Oak Baptist Church as a church to elevate Christ by extending His compassion to the world around. We must extend, we the church, must extend His compassion. Letter B, lastly, we must extend His courage. Look down with me at verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. This is John 15. 15, I'm in 19 now. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. There are people out there that are hurting that want Jesus. There's people out there that are hurting that are rejecting Jesus. When you go trying to shine the bright light of the compassion of God in their life and heart, you know what they do? They push away from it. They don't like it. They don't want it. It's like having a light turned on in a dark room. All of a sudden, that bright light hits you in the eyes and now you can see the ketchup stains all over your shirt. You can see the gravy stain that's on your shirt. You can see the little spaghetti dots from the spaghetti luncheon this afternoon, amen, that are all over your shirt. And you step back and you go, I don't like what I'm seeing. Turn the light off. And you don't turn light off and they began attacking you. They began saying, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. You know what many Christians do? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. Oh, you don't want me to pass out a gospel? Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. You know what we need? We need Christians to have some courage about them. Look, don't be surprised if they're putting things on TV that are anti-Christian. Don't be surprised by that. Expect it. 
Look, they hated Jesus. They're going to hate, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised if you get a little bit of ridicule at work for standing up for Jesus. They hated Him. Do you think you're above Him some way? Listen, what this world needs is for us to extend courage. I see, uh, I see many Christians who are afraid. They're afraid to take a stand for Jesus. They lack that boldness. They lack that courage. And Jesus here, right after he told his disciples to love one another and to love everyone, he turns around and says, you're going to need some courage in the process. I'm reminded of the song that says, stand for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Stand for Jesus. Claim his name. For he loved you on a rugged cross with arms out open wide. Stand for Jesus. He is standing by your side. Why Oak Baptist Church, are we lifting up Christ? Are we lifting up Christ? I'm not asking, is the pastor preaching Christ from the pulpit? That's not the question. Listen closely. Is White Oak Baptist Church lifting up Christ? How many of you understand that the whole is a sum of its parts? You all get that? All right. Then let me ask the question this way. Christian, attendee, member of White Oak Baptist Church, are you lifting up Christ? Are you embracing? Are you elevating? Are you emulating? Are you extending Christ in your life? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. This morning we made a big deal out of church. I hope that you'll dedicate yourself to being here.